Well, good morning. Let's see. There I am. Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, my name's Ken, and if I haven't uh, met you, uh, maybe you've started coming here from the Fargo campus or you're new to our church, I would uh, love to meet you or grab a cup of coffee with you someday. Uh, speaking of coffee, somebody who was sitting behind me said, uh, Ken, you look like a pumpkin spice latte today. And I thought, did I overdo it quite possibly? So anyhow, um, you know, my daughter is a huge uh, Disney fan, and she loves uh, the movie Peter Pan. And in that movie, Peter Pan fans might be familiar with this line. It says, all the world is made of faith and trust and pixie dust, which is a sweet little image, isn't it? Uh, but we know that it's not really true. Um, our world, our world is made of faith and doubt and truth and lies. And if we dare to draw close enough uh, to the dust of Rabbi Jesus' feet, who has influenced and impacted our world uh, in immeasurable ways for over 2,000 years. This weekend's text brings us to a passage where Jesus challenges us not to be people who make elaborate promises, uh, but to be people who simply speak honestful, honest and truthful words. Uh, if we follow Jesus' teaching in this, uh, we'll build, we'll, we will build trust-filled, deeper, committed relationships. Uh, when we tell the truth, we live with greater freedom, uh, not having to worry about getting caught or remembering the story we told or living with shame. Uh, your honesty helps to shape your reputation, and if you're a follower of Christ, it actually helps to shape uh, God's reputation. Uh, Christ followers are called to be salt and light. And so, before we jump into this passage, I thought I would try to do something fun, and we will see if this falls on its face or not. But I want you to think for a moment about uh, some of the famous liars in history, but I don't want you to think of uh, real people, but fictional people, people from movies, people from books, that sort of thing. And I want you to holler out some names of people that come to mind as you think through fictional liars. So who are some of the fictional liars? Anybody? Pinocchio. Pinocchio. Hey, do we, there you go. That's the first choice. All right. Anybody else? Fictional liars? The Boy Who Cried Wolf. That's a good one. I don't have a picture of him, though. Anybody else? Let's show, how about Jim Carrey from Liar Liar? I don't know how many of you might have seen that movie. He was actually forced to tell the truth. It was hilarious, although it's, I think it's PG-13. I'm not endorsing or recommending it, uh, but it was funny. So uh, how about this guy? Han Solo, huh? He was always trying to talk himself out of trouble uh, from the Star Wars uh, trilogy. Well, believe it or not, there are many occasions in the Bible when people uh, told lies, and sometimes it was for sinful reasons, uh, but sometimes it was for good reasons. Uh, let's think about uh, back in Genesis, after Cain kills his brother Abel, God comes to him and says, uh, where's your brother Abel? And Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? And that was like one of the first lies by a human in the Bible. And then Abraham, when he had fled to Egypt with his wife Sarai, 
uh, he lied to the Egyptians because he thought that they would take his beautiful wife from him, and he claimed that, or that he, they would kill him for his wife, and so he claimed that she was just his sister, which was a half-truth because she was his half-sister. Uh, how about when Pharaoh orders the Hebrew midwives to kill all of the newborn baby boys, born Israelite baby boys, and the midwives uh, refuse to do so, and Pharaoh says, what in the world's going on? Why aren't you doing this? And they say, well, Hebrew women aren't like Egyptian women. They're vigorous, and they have their babies so quickly that by the time we get there, they're already born, and there's nothing we can do. And it turns out that the Lord blessed them for their obedience to him and disobedience to Pharaoh. Uh, Samson lied to Delilah three times about uh, his source of strength, his hair. Uh, Rahab, the prostitute, lied about uh, the Israelite spies. She tried to protect them. And she's actually mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 as a woman of great faith. And then there's uh, Peter, Peter who denied Jesus three times. And there's lots of different stories of lies that happen in the Bible. Ironically, when I googled people who are known for being truth-tellers, it was actually a lot harder to find a list. Uh, they're far less popular. Uh, it, it's, it's far, uh, it, it just seems to be tougher to describe those that have been honest throughout their whole life. And in some ways, as a society, we seem far more interested in people who are known as liars. Uh, there was, I had a friend who was a news anchor in Salt Lake City, Utah, and she used to say that in the news industry, they had a phrase, and it was, if it bleeds, it leads. If it bleeds, it leads, meaning that whatever, whatever stories uh, were shocking got the headlines, and the feel-good stories tended to get put uh, into the back of the broadcast, buried a little bit deeper. But that's not the way of Jesus, it's not the way of Jesus. Let's take a look at this week's text and see what Jesus has to say about being people of our word. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 through 37, if you want to follow along. Jesus starts, And you have heard it said to the people long ago. So there it is again. You have heard it said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Now, if you were here in the summer with us when we studied the Ten Commandments back in Exodus, uh, there are echoes of both uh, the Ninth Commandment, which is, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, so basically says, do not lie, and also the Third Commandment that says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God in vain. And so we're not to use God's name loosely, making oaths and so forth, uh, especially, and adding lots of words, especially in the name of God. Jesus calls his followers simply to be simply honest, truth-telling people. And I got to thinking, like, why are we tempted to lie? What are some of the reasons that we lie? 
And I did a little research on why people lie, and I ran across a guy by the name of Dr. Paul Ekman. He's a scientist and a psychologist. I have no idea about his faith story, uh, but his website says this about him. Dr. Ekman, who is a sci- or, or Dr. Ekman was named one of the 100 most influential people in the world by Time Magazine and ranked 15th among the most influential psychologists of the 21st century. He is the world's, get this, Deception detection expert, co-discoverer of micro-expressions. So we make tiny expressions with our face that reveal whether or not we are telling the truth or telling a lie. And he was the inspiration behind the hit series, Lie to Me. And so his website listed nine reasons that people lie, and here are a few of those. Uh, The number one reason that both kids and adults lie, what would you guess it is? To avoid punishment, right? To avoid punishment. Now, uh, you know, you get pulled over by the policeman and you say, I didn't realize I was going that fast, officer. Or maybe you've gotten home late uh, past your curfew and you say, Mom, I was going to text, but my cell phone died in order to keep yourself from getting punished. Another reason we lie, to get a reward we don't deserve. Think about being in the job interview and claiming to have a little bit more job experience than you actually have in order to get the position that you're hoping to get. You know, I was in sales uh, for years, and at times you felt like you had to stretch the truth to make the deal. You felt the pressure of making quota or keeping up with the other salespeople uh, or wanting to impress your customer, and you are tempted to lie to make your product or service sound better. Another reason people lie, to protect another person from being punished. Uh, you cover up for a late coworker who was on a weekend bender, or little self-reflection parents, as parents, your child wakes up late, they don't get to school, they're tardy, But you, just to protect them, call the attendance office and let them them know that they were at a doctor's appointment, in fact, today, so that they won't have a tardy on their their transcript. And so uh, sometimes we do it to protect another person from getting punished. Uh, Sometimes we we lie to win the admiration of others. Uh, We inflate our batting average from when we played high school baseball, or perhaps we claim to have been the starting quarterback quarterback when in fact we were a bench warmer, or maybe we say that we dated the homecoming queen when she really didn't even know our name. Uh, We stretch the truth about our ACT or our SAT scores, uh, where we went to school or how much money we have or the toys we own or the people we know. As a pastor, we might be tempted to exaggerate the size of our church to help us look better with other pastors. Another reason we lie, to get out of awkward social situations. Somebody's invited you to a party that you don't really want to go to. And so you say, gosh, I just had, for some reason, I can't seem to find a babysitter tonight. And you do that in order to get out of the party that you didn't want to go to. Or you're on the phone with someone and you want to get off and you say, oh, somebody's at the door in order to get off the phone. And so we do it to get out of awkward situations. Uh, Sometimes people will lie to avoid embarrassment. Uh, Quite honestly, this might be my biggest temptation for a reason to tell a lie. 
You know, think about a child who wets their pants and then spills some water in their lap or claims to have spilled water in their lap and that they didn't really wet their pants. Or, or perhaps, this has probably never happened, in, this hasn't happened in my home, let's just be clear. Um, your spouse toots in a room full of people and then claims it was the dog, right? Yeah, I know none of you have ever been there. Or perhaps you're watching a sappy movie and a tear comes to your eyes and it's just a little dust. I don't know where that came from. Uh, or more seriously, uh, when your credit card is rejected and you're at the cashier and you're like, gosh, I just don't know why that thing got rejected. It was just working before. Why don't you try it again? When you know that you're overdrawn. And so we, we lie to avoid embarrassment. Uh, some people will lie to exercise power over others by controlling the information. Uh, Hitler was famous for this. He controlled the information that his people heard so that they would have uh, just evil thoughts towards the Jewish people. Uh, but this doesn't just happen in war times where information's controlled. We see this happen in families, in workplaces, where people are harboring uh, information to control others. And then another reason that people lie, and I don't necessarily think this is a sinful one. It's to protect yourself from harm. Uh, think about the eight-year-old who happens to be home alone. A stranger comes knocking at the door, and he says, well, my dad's asleep on the couch, even though dad's not really home, just to simply protect himself. Uh, there are different kinds of lies. There's flat-out lies, uh, you know, a fabricated story. It's when I say yes, when in fact I didn't do it, or when I say I did do something that, that I didn't do. Um, there are half-truths where we leave out a portion of the truth. And then there's lies of omission. Uh, maybe it's like not claiming all of your income on your tax return, or maybe you're at a grocery store and the cashier gives you back too much change and instead of telling them, oh, you gave me too much change, you pocket the difference. Or maybe somebody says something really nice about you. They give you credit for something that's simply not true and you just remain uh, silent. But Jesus, Jesus raises the bar. So let's dig deeper into what Jesus says on the topic. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. Again, you have heard it said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vow that you have made. You see, the rabbis and scribes knew the Old Testament, and they would have been looking back at different passages like Numbers 30, uh, chapter 30, verse 2, that says, when a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but do everything he said. In Deuteronomy 23, 21, if you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to pay for it, for the Lord your God will certainly demand it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. And so the scribes and Pharisees of old would say this. They would say, do not break your oath, but, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. In some ways, the scribes were actually creating a bit of a loophole. They were, in essence, differentiating between plain old oaths and oaths made to the Lord. They were saying, yes, it's really important to keep your oaths and keep your word, but if you make an oath to God, you darn well better keep it. 
and it was like they were elevating the importance of that. But Jesus says, simply let your word be your word. He raises the bar. If you say yes or no, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And then verse 34, he goes on, but I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Now, Jesus was actually referring back to Isaiah 66, uh, 1, that says, the Lord, or this is what the Lord says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Apparently, this time, at this time, people were swearing by both heaven and by earth. And then he goes on, and do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Uh, people seem to be just getting careless and loose about the way that they were making oaths. People were making oaths by heaven, by earth, by Jerusalem, and by their own heads. And Jesus says, don't do it. And I was thinking about the variety of ways uh, that I have heard people make promises in the past or the variety of ways I have. I think about when you're a kid, right? Cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye if I'm not telling the truth. Or somebody might say, I swear to God in order to get you to believe them. Or I swear on a stack of Bibles. Or I swear on my mother's grave. Or I pinky swear. You know, I'm guessing you've heard others. Uh, but what happens when someone feels the need to make an oath or to swear something like that? Cross my heart and hope to die, stick a needle in my eye you probably start to guess whether or not they're telling the truth if they have to make that sort of promise, right? If they have to go that far with their words. You know, what might you guess about me if I was trying to sell you my used boat and I told you it's the fastest boat on the water, it's the most reliable, it never breaks down, I swear on a stack of Bibles, this is the greatest boat you'll ever own. You're probably thinking I'm a pretty slimy individual, right, if I've got to make that sort of comment. But Jesus says that everything you say should be good and true. He goes on, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. Simply be people who tell the truth, people who can be trusted, people of integrity, people whose word is good. You know, if we find ourselves needing to oversell our promises, uh, we may have integrity issues. If we need to add words to convince someone or ourselves that we'll keep our word, we may have a reputation problem or a sin problem. Jesus finishes the verse by saying, anything beyond this comes from the evil one. In John chapter 8, verse 44, when Jesus was confronting leaders that wanted to kill him, he says this, you, he's talking to the leaders, you belong to the Father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. When we find the need to add to our yes or no, we are probably treading on sinful ground. And Jesus wasn't saying to never make an oath like the vows that you share at a marriage or when you swear in in court. But he was saying to be people of your word. Jesus was saying, don't tell lies 
be truthful. Now, why is it so important that we're truthful people? And what happens when we break trust with others? What happens when we don't do what we said we're going to do? Dr. John Townsend, he's co-author of the book Boundaries. You may be familiar with the book Boundaries. Great book. Uh, Says this, all relationships take work. Whether they are a marriage, a dating relationship, a family member, a business associate, or a friend. But one of the most difficult situations is when someone breaks trust with us. It could involve lying, unfaithfulness, or betrayal in some way, and it can be devastating. It is difficult because one of our most fundamental needs for survival is trust. Without trust, we don't know who the other person is anymore, and we don't know how careful or how free to be with them anymore. Safety, care, love, and risk don't work at all when trust has been broken. We want those we love, those we lead, those we barely know, to know that they can trust us, to be people of our word. And as with many times when I am preparing a sermon, uh, God seems to, uh, or the Holy Spirit seems to make me uh, painfully aware of how I am falling short in uh, the area that I'm teaching on. And a couple of weeks ago, in this case, telling the truth, a couple of weeks ago, I was playing golf with Seth and Kent and Brian Vidger. If you don't know Brian Vidger, Brian Vidger is a super competitive guy, and he loves to razz you while he's playing sports. And the four of us were playing nine holes of golf together. Brian shows up on the first tee, and he says, let's play a game today. And he said, let's play, it's called match play. Basically, the, the goal is to win more holes than your opponent. And to, he t- we paired up as teams. And so Kent and I were on a team together, and Seth and Brian were on a team together. And the lowest combined score for that hole wins the hole. So Kent and I come out on fire. Uh, we end up winning the first hole. So after four holes, we're up 4 nothing. We win one more hole. The match is over. Things are done. Fifth hole we play, we ended up pushing, meaning our team and their team got the same score. So when we go to the sixth hole, as we're playing that sixth hole, it's worth two holes. If Kent and I win it, we win the whole thing. The last three holes don't matter, don't count. If they win, then it's 4-2 to two and we continue to play. Well, I get up on the tee box of that sixth hole, and I hit a drive that kind of started out down the fairway, but then it hooked right, and I say hooked right because I'm a lefty, uh, and it went through the trees and towards the other fairway. So I go out, and I start looking for my ball, and I'm walking around for a minute or two where I think my ball should be, and I can't find it anywhere. Kent comes over, and inside of 30 seconds, he sees my ball must be great to live in a crow's nest, right? To be at that angle and look down. Uh, And he said, you hitting a Titleist? I said, yeah. And so I go over there and, yep, sure enough. And I hit the ball and I had some trees in the way and I hit the ball maybe halfway to the green. And I get up to the ball to go to hit my next ball onto the green. I look at it and I'm like, Titleist four. Was I playing a Titleist four? And then I thought, well, you know what? That last hole was such a wreck, and I had given a couple guys balls to hit. I'm like, maybe I did play a Titleist 4. So I hit that ball up on the green, 
And then I don't know if I bogeyed the hole or how it finished, but Kent and I had the lower score, and we won the match at that time. So we walk off the green feeling great. We just won, and all of a sudden, Brian gets a little bit quieter, which brought me great joy. I don't know, maybe that's a sinful issue for myself. So we're on the next tee box, number seven, and I hit the best drive I'd hit all year. And by the way, this is the first time I played because of a shoulder uh, injury. I hit the best drive I'd hit all year, and we're walking up the fairway, and there's people coming back at us uh, from the prior hole. And I see a couple of balls in the rough on the right. And I walk over to look at them, and I just assumed they'd been hit off the other tee box. And I look at these balls, and one of them has this blue logo on, and at that moment, I knew that that was my ball from the prior hole. I knew that I had hit the wrong ball in. And all of a sudden, I'm doing the math. Like, how much did we beat them by? Do I confess to these guys that this ball uh, was not my original ball? If I do, Brian's going to start giving me a hard time again. And am I going to be able to get it back together to finish this round? And... I didn't come clean. I played the next two and a half holes. I never hit another good shot. This is constantly racing through my mind. We finish up, and I didn't tell you, the bet was for a pop, right? High stakes gambling. I let Brian buy the pop at the end of the round. I'm sitting there with these three guys, not enjoying my pop. One iota, I think, still being convicted by the Holy Spirit. Um, I let a week and a half go by, and I'm like, and then I'm going to preach this message, right? (laughs) And so I said to Kent and uh, Seth on Tuesday, I said, I have a confession to make. And so I took them into the room and told them my story, and they took it like champs. They were very gracious. Um, I'm looking for work out of state right now. but no, they, they, they were very gracious about it. But Brian, Brian has not heard this story, and Brian is probably at home watching. And so, Brian, I am sorry, and I owe you a couple pops. Will you please, please, please forgive me? <laughs> Sincerely. Um, you know, I don't know if this would have happened 5 or 10 or 20 years ago if I would have had any conviction in my spirit to do something, but God just would not let this thing sit. And I would just, I'd be in the car with Seth and I'd think to myself, I just got to come clean with this thing. And I thought about, you know, the reason I told Seth and Kent wasn't because I was worried they would ever find out, and it wasn't because I was bummed that we would lose the match. It was because the Holy Spirit kept saying, you've got to come clean with this, and it was because uh, we worked together closely, and I did not want a little seed of secrecy to take place in our relationship. So why is telling the truth so important? Um, Telling the truth helps us grow as people. Uh, when we tell the truth to others, uh, Ephesians, in Ephesians, Paul says, speak the truth in love. And actually, when you look at John chapter 1, verse 14, uh, when Jesus comes, it says that Jesus came full of grace and truth. And there is something about being truthful with one another. But note this, Jesus came full of grace and truth. And when you think about having truth in one hand and grace in the other, you know, truth, truth without grace is not love. 
And grace without truth is not love. So when we come to people with the truth, we need to come with both grace and truth. Something else, telling the truth brings freedom and peace. Uh, We don't have to worry about getting caught. We don't carry the shame of whatever lie we told. We don't have to remember how we told the story. You don't have to second guess yourself. Uh, in John chapter 8, verse, 13, or verse 31 and 32, Jesus says this, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. He was talking about the truth being him, Jesus, but he's the one that commands us to live truth-filled lives, to tell the truth to one another. Another thing about telling the truth, telling the truth is loving. You may not have thought of it that way, but when I tell the truth to my spouse, I build trust. To my friends, I build trust. But it also, as I said, helps us grow. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, uh, 6 and 7 say this, Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always perseveres. And then trust, as I just mentioned, telling, telling the truth uh, builds trust in our relationships. And then telling the truth leads to authenticity and deeper connections. Now, instead of a verse for that, I thought I would share another failure. Um, 19 years ago, uh, so Vicki and I had been married for about a year. Uh, we were living in Midvale, Utah. Uh, we had one child, our daughter Tori, at that time, and we were uh, it, it, living in this little duplex, and I remember we were sitting in the living room, and for some reason, at that point, I wanted to tell Vicki more of my salvation story, and I don't really know how it came up, uh, but I told her of a time about five years earlier uh, where I had, if you don't know this about me, I had been a beer salesman, and so my vehicle to drive every day was a Coors van. And so I would drive the Coors van to see my clients. And one day on my way back from selling, uh, I was in between Kremlin, Colorado and Steamboat Springs, Colorado at a place called Muddy Pass. And God had just been wrecking my life, just drawing me to him, making himself real. And I would imagine Jesus sitting in the passenger seat with me. And I had a conversation with God on this particular afternoon and I said, God, if you'll have me, I want to give my life to you. I want to follow you. And, and I just sensed the presence of the Holy Spirit like in a palpable way. Like I could sense the presence of God. And when I finished telling Vicki that story, I said, you're the first person I've ever told that story. But that was a lie. I had actually told my prior girlfriend that story about three or four years before then. And for the next two days, I just like, you know, it was just churning in my mind, like, I've got to tell her the truth. I've got to tell her the truth about this. And I finally, I don't know, worked up the courage or whatever and sat her down and I said, Vicki, when I said that you were the first person that I ever told you this, that was a lie. Will you forgive me? And uh, quite candidly, uh, the next couple weeks of our marriage were tough. Uh, She said, how can I trust you? And she wondered and she was hurt. Um, 
but I am so grateful that I confessed that to her 19 years ago. Uh, she asked me afterwards, she asked me just this week, actually I asked her if I could tell this story in church, and you're not going to believe this, maybe you will. She said, I don't even remember that happening. And I'm like, boy, just talk about the power of God and power of forgiveness, right? Like she just does, doesn't hardly recall it. But then she said to me, um, well, why did you lie to me? And I, you know, I can't remember for sure, but I think it was because I wanted her to feel important. I wanted her to feel like the only person who knew, but it was still a lie. And it was probably a lie for which I would have never, ever been caught but imagine had I not come clean on that and what I might have started in our marriage. I mean, I don't know if we would still be together had I not made that choice. Uh, but because I did and because truth-telling has been part of our relationship and because we trust each other so much, she can be off with her sisters out, you know, uh, on a vacation, I can be with my brothers, we can be out with friends, and we just don't worry about each other because we have such a deep, trusting relationship. Now, I made a mistake, but praise God, she forgave me, and praise God, he convicted me to come clean on it. And I am so grateful uh, for the marriage we have, uh, and, and the truth-telling is part of our lives. Now, I wonder, I wonder if sometimes... Um, we don't trust God enough to tell the truth. I wonder if we don't trust God enough to tell the truth. Uh, we think I won't get the sale if I tell the truth, or she won't like me if I tell the truth, or they won't be impressed with me if they know the truth. Yet Jesus emphatically says, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. What if we trusted God enough to do what he will with the truth. What if we trusted him enough to tell the truth when we didn't like the truth or want to tell the truth? I mean, think about it. Jesus commands us to do this. And he also says, you can trust me and I am with you always. So if by following him in this, like we may not like, when I told Vicki, I confessed her, I didn't like the next 48 hours or two weeks. But had I, had I not trusted God with that, I, I can only imagine where our marriage would or would not be in this season. You know, if your confidence is in your resume or your family or your retirement account or your education or your status, if your confidence is in how you can spin a story, those are all going to fall short. But if your confidence is in God, you can trust Him with that. When we truly trust God, trust who He made us to be, uh, trust Him with our present and our future, trust Him with our income and our family, telling the truth becomes so much easier. Uh, when we are truthful with our spouses, our truth grows, our freedom grows, our joy grows. Are you a trustworthy person? Can people believe what you say? You know, this might be a, at some level, it's a small issue for all of us. Uh, but it's a big issue for others. 
But I just want to encourage you to trust God with the truth. Trust him to do what only he can do by being truth tellers. I want to wrap up with Colossians chapter 3, verse 9 and 10 that says this, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in knowledge, in the image of its creator. You see, when we have surrendered our old self and given ourselves over to Christ, he renews us, he transforms us. And he says we can trust him with our lives and with the truth. If you have given your life to Jesus by accepting the sacrifice that he made on the cross, he is right now in the business of transforming your life. And he is a trustworthy God, and he asks us to be a truth-telling people. And if you'll trust him with this, I think you'll be amazed at what he would do. Trust God enough to tell the truth. Let's pray. Uh, Father, as I think about the people in this room, as I think about the unknown stories, um, I am guessing that there are some that are living with somebody who just struggles to tell the truth. And God, I ask that you would meet them with grace and love, uh, that you would encourage the person in their lives that is constantly stretching the truth or breaking trust. And I pray for healing in that relationship. God, for each and every one of us, uh, whether we follow you yet or not, may we trust you with our lives. May we trust you with our present. May we trust you with our personalities and our gifting and our economic situation and our relationship situations. And may we trust you enough to be people of our word, to allow people to see us for who we really are, and to trust you to send people into our lives and to personally meet us in ways to know that we are valued and loved and cared for, and may we rest in you with our lives. God, for those of us that really, really struggle with this, I pray, God, that you would encourage them that you would convict them, help them to play the movie, to see the pain, to see the problems it caused, and help them to find freedom. Help them to start small by telling the truth. And I pray for there to be forgiveness and reconciliation, and I pray for relationships to thrive with you. God, help us to be people who trust you enough to tell the truth in all aspects of our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.